<laughs> Thank you, choir. What a great way to begin. Uh, for me, it kind of sets me up well to begin our talk in Job and our wisdom literature to be reminded that God is only wise. If you have your Bible this morning, please turn with me to Job chapter 28. We'll be in verses 20 through 28. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you can use the one in your pew. Um, I believe we're in page 600 of your pew Bible. Um, if you will, uh, and you're able, please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Starting in verse 20 of Job 28. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, when he saw it and declared it, he established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your word. We pray this morning that you would speak to us, that you would reveal uh, your will for our life, and the Holy Spirit, you would illuminate your text so that we may live according to your, you and your, your direction. Speak, Father, for your servants are listening. Amen. You may be seated. Um, as many as you, of you may know, if you've gotten to spend much time with me, there's few things in my life that I just love more than I probably should. Um, of course, you know, wife and family. But I'm talking about my hobbies and things like that that I probably spend a little too much time and money on. Um, one of those things is Alabama football. Um, I really uh, just care a little too much about Alabama. In fact, I almost, not just football, but the whole programs, I almost called in sick this morning because of that loss we had. I almost was like, I can't handle it. I need to take a little sabbatical. Uh, but no, my, my father instilled in me, I kind of blame him for it because he's the one who instilled in me a very young age, a love for Alabama. Um, and I remember being a little kid uh, going to games a couple times a year. My dad would take me and my siblings uh, to Alabama football games. We'd walk around the campus, and we wouldn't just go to the game. We'd make a whole weekend of it. We'd get there early. We'd get a hotel room, or we'd, we'd stay late, depending on what time the game was, and we would enjoy the campus. We'd go out to eat. We would just go to the museums and all these wonderful things. Um, and what he would do is always when I was little, because I was going by, before I could really walk, um, so you can't really do a stroller. He would just pick me up and put me on his shoulders, and I would be able to see everything. I could see where Bryant Denny was. I could see where Denny Chimes were. I could see the quad. I knew the layout pretty well, and as I got older, um, one of my, my, my favorite games of all time, I don't remember the game, but I remember the trip because my dad told me on the way up there, he said, Cole, you're getting to be kind of big now. I'm not going to hold you on my shoulders. In fact, I'm going to let you walk beside me just like your brother, Matt, and your sister, Jill. You're going to walk with us. I was like, yeah, all right. He said, by the way, I'm wearing a white hat with a red bill, blue jeans, a red windbreaker, and white sneakers. I said, cool. Thanks, Dad. You look great. All right. 
let's go. And so we get there, and we're, we're in the hotel room, and we're excited. And Dad said, Cole, you ready for your first game walking? I said, yeah, let's do it. I can't wait to be on campus. He said, great, Cole. By the way, I'm wearing a white hat with a red bill, a red windbreaker, blue jeans, and white tennis shoes. I was like, it's getting weird. You look great, Dad. That's, that's going to be a great outfit. Also, I'm thinking about wearing a hat, too. Weird. And we get to the, uh, the campus. It's the morning of, and I'm, we're kind of riding the trolley closer to the stadium from where we parked. And my dad leans over and says, hey, Cole, you ready? I said, yeah, I'm ready. He said, by the way, I'm wearing a white hat with a red bill, red windbreaker, blue jeans, and a white tennis shoes. I said, Dad, I get it. Okay, you look good. As we're getting it and we get on this campus and we start walking, I'm so excited. I'm thinking, all right, when I, we go up here, I'm going to take a right and go to Denny Chimes. Then we're going to hear the band play. And then we're going to go down and we're going to go to the Walk of Champions. That's to the left a little while. about so many feet. I had it in my mind. I had it mapped out. And then we started hitting the crowds. And here's the thing about me when I was younger. I'm short now, but I was really short when I was young. I couldn't see anything. All I could see was just belly buttons for miles. Just that, that was my point of view. Couldn't see anything. I didn't know where I'd go. I, and very quickly, I realized I was turned around, didn't know where I was going, didn't know where I was, and I was lost. I had so many plans, and I had so many expectations, and I was so excited, and all these things failed me very quickly when I got lost in the crowd. But then I remembered white hat, red bill, red windbreaker, blue jeans, and white tennis shoes. And so I just started repeating that to myself until I found a white hat with a red bill, red windbreaker, blue jeans, and white tennis shoes, and scurried up and found my dad. Now, in my mind, at that age, I was probably, I felt like I was gone an hour, and I had to traverse a mile to get to him. I was probably like two feet behind him for 15 seconds, but it was a harrowing incident. And in our, in our passage here, we see this character, Job. Some of you may be familiar with him, but if you're not, Job is one of our wisdom literature characters and he was described as a wise man. He was a good man. He was an innocent man. And yet, God allowed Job to experience great suffering and great, great loss. And it's at this point in the story that Job is feeling very lost. The things he understood about the world, um, the things like God will reward the righteous and punish the wicked. These things that he was saying, God, I, I am righteous. Why am I being punished? Why am I being allowed to go through these things these these things he believed and these things he understood the world through began to fail him and his friends failed him his worldview failed him and he felt lost i believe many of us may relate to that as well we know that feeling when things don't make sense and in this poem we find that while job is questioning everything that he believed he is stumbling with this mystery and and confusion over wisdom and i believe that here in this poem this kind of break between what we've been reading through job and and god's response this this break in the story we are given this poem where job expresses his frustration his irritation his confusion but ultimately his acceptance and understanding of God's wisdom. For I believe he comes to realize that the mystery of God's wisdom is not solved by answers or development, the, the development of skills, ex intelligence, experience, all these things we might attribute it to. No, 
It is instead revealed by God when he extends an invitation to the source of wisdom, namely himself. So this morning, I would like to share with you three truths about God's wisdom. Not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom. Three truths that I believe that can help us develop a deeper understanding of godly wisdom and how we can apply it to our own life. The first truth and the first point is this, is that wisdom is hidden from us. Wisdom is hidden from us. This passage begins with this very... um, bold request and and statement of where then does wisdom come where is the place of understanding and this is a a question that has really been echoed for much of mankind's existence Um, it's wisdom we might have even asked it ourselves because wisdom seems like a pretty simple concept it's pretty clear like wisdom right we talk about it we use it he's wise he's not wise wisdom But when we really get down to it, what is the definition of it? It seems to be kind of elusive. And really the definition is varies between person to person. I I took a philosophy class in school, Philosophy 101, um, and we talked a lot about these famous thinkers. If you don't know, philosophy is is two Greek words, philos, which is love, and sophia, which is wisdom. So put them together, it's the love of wisdom. So it's all these people talking about how to be wise and what is wisdom. So we have Shakespeare, right? We, we are familiar. You guys probably read about Shakespeare once or twice, or you will. He says, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Aristotle says, knowing yourself is the beginning of wisdom. And then we have Eastern thinkers like Buddha who said, the greatest wisdom is seeing through appearances. Now, myself, I personally prefer the definition. I call it the tomato definition. Y'all familiar with this? It, it, wisdom uh, is defined as uh, knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but you don't put it in your fruit salad. Yeah? Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I was ready for that one. We have all these different definitions of wisdom. It seems to be a moving target, and it can become exhausting. Be humble, be cunning, be patient, listen to your elders, take advantage of your youth, act, don't act, be kind, be shrewd. All these things that just fill our brain, and in each every moment, it is difficult to know what to do or how to be wise. And there's an answer for this. And it's the problem that Job has to face is that wisdom is hidden from our eyes. No eye has seen wisdom. It is not seen um, in the air. It is not seen in the sea. The, the, the beginning of chapter 28 furthers this and that there's nowhere. It expands and explores the width and the depth of the earth and wisdom cannot be found. It says even Abaddon, which your, defin- your translation may say destruction um, or death, these spiritual, powerful, unstoppable forces, they've even only heard rumor of it. Wisdom has been hidden from us. And despite all of man's ability to unearth valuable treasures, this is coming from the first uh, 19 verses, uh, their, their ability to unearth valuable treasures, to create industrial feats, to rise up kingdoms and empires, The one thing that men truly need to flourish, wisdom, is still escaping us. 
man is stuck in this state of foolishness and darkness where we find ourselves repeating failures over and over again. Just take a world history class. You'll see this to be true. And this goes back all the way to the garden. It's when Adam and Eve chose to seize power and wisdom for themselves. God says, don't take of this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't take it for yourself. Let me walk with you and show you and teach you, but don't take it for yourself. And they did exactly that. They took wisdom in their own hands and in that moment severed themselves from true wisdom. It's in that moment that they, we were lost from wisdom and wisdom was separated and severed from us. And that's the problem all of us face. No one is righteous. We have repeated Adam and Eve's mistake time and time again, each in our own lives, where we decide to take wisdom for ourselves and been disappointed. Because no one is wise. No human eye has seen wisdom. We are unable to grasp it. Now, that's kind of a depressing way to start. I recognize that, and I'm sorry. Blame Job. But here's the thing. The poem doesn't end at verse 22. Thankfully, it goes on. It goes on to say, my next point is that wisdom is only found in God. The, the author of this poem reveals to us that while there is no direct path to wisdom, while we are not given an instruction manual, there is a source of wisdom. Wisdom does have a home, and it is with our God. God can see wisdom. It says that he created it. It says, when he created the foundations of the earth, when he gave wind its weight, when he, when he apportioned the waters, when he created pathways for rain to fall and, and planned out every inch of creation, he saw wisdom and declared it. it kind of reminds us of, again, to creation in the first chapter, when God creates, sees it, and declares it to be good. He sees wisdom and declares it. He establishes it. He searches it out. There's no aspect of wisdom that eludes God. There's no single moment where God does not possess wisdom in its truest and perfect fashion because it is from Him that it flows. He is the creator, the source, the ruler, and the master wielder of wisdom. It is all found in Him. And, the, and God operates and runs this world accordingly to his wisdom. So we see Job is, is, throughout this book, is frustrated and hurting because of his worldview of how things should run and how God should operate has come crumbling down. He's saying, God, obviously, you are not doing something right. I'm suffering and I'm innocent. What are you doing? You're not doing your job very well, obviously, because I should not be suffering. I'm righteous. There are wicked out there who are prevailing, and I am suffering. Why would you do this? Job is in a moment of lostness, and he has turned against God and is accusing him of not running the world very well, not doing his job. And we see God answers him later in the, in the conclusion of Job, in the, of the book, God basically tells him, I'm running the world not according to how you think it should be done, not according to your policies and your understanding. I'm running the world according to my wisdom. 
And thankfully, that is true. Thankfully, God does not run the world according to our wisdom or our understanding or my understanding. I feel like I could make a big mess of things very, very quickly. I mean, you may relate with this, but oftentimes, um, the people I would so quickly ask God to punish, those who I would see the wickedness in or, or anything like that, I'm quickly... I'm quick to point out their wickedness, but I'm slow to remember the wickedness of my own heart. Like we said before, wisdom is not just hidden from those who aren't good, nice people, but they're hidden from all because Scripture tells us all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one who is righteous. We all are wicked in our heart because, just like Adam and Eve, we have chosen to turn from the Lord. So thank goodness he doesn't punish the wicked the way we see fit. Thank goodness he didn't actually, uh, when, when he told Adam and Eve, do not take of this fruit for you will surely die. Thank goodness he did not kill them in that moment as he, probably had, as he definitely had right to do. He told them you will surely die, but they did not die in that moment. Of course, death entered the world and they were spiritually deceased, but he did not kill them. He provided for them a covering of their shame. He wrapped them in a sacrifice of, a, of an animal, wrapped them in skin, hid their shame from the, from the world. God does not act on how we think he should act. He acts according to his wisdom, which he tells us is the foolishness of man. And the fool, wisdom of man is the foolishness of God. We should find great comfort in knowing that our Father in heaven is able to run the world according to his wisdom. I think of it this way. When I, again, I'll go back to, again, time when I was younger. Say we're, I was driving to Alabama, I, I, you know, Tuscaloosa, I don't know. Um, but have you ever been in the car with your, with your parents and it's storming outside? It's a very bad storm. You, and I remember being a kid and sitting in the back seat and looking through the windshield and not being able to see a thing. It's when the windshield wipers are going really fast and I'm like, and the, it's just... Uh, uh, headlights. It's all I can see. But there's no fear in that moment for me. I don't remember being afraid of the storm. And the reason I wasn't afraid is because my father was driving the car, and he was a good driver. Now, he might tell you now that he was terrified of that storm, but for me, as a child in the back seat, I found great comfort knowing that my dad was driving and I didn't have to, that he was able to handle the car and the storm. And that is how the Lord upholds the world. Everything works according to his wisdom. He holds all wisdom, and he is lovingly upholding his creation by his wisdom. We may not understand it, but we can find comfort and truth in his wisdom. Now, here's the beautiful thing. This is a, that's a pretty okay sermon. Wouldn't you all agree? That's a pretty good passage. Here's the problem. We, we don't have wisdom and we are sinful, so we will never have wisdom. But here's the good news. God has wisdom and we don't have to worry. We can just trust God. We can go to lunch now, right? So that we, we'd okay, be all, yeah, all be okay with that. But the passage goes on for one more passage, one more verse. And we have one more point this morning. And that is wisdom is a gift of grace. Because this whole poem... With Hebrew poetry is different. It's not so much based on rhyme, but on pattern. It is based on rhythm. 
And so the poem has a flow to it. It has a bounce. Certain things happen in a pattern. It's like A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C. And we get to passage or verse 28 and things change. It goes from A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, F, E, J. It changes everything. It shakes the reader to read verse 28 in the original Hebrew. Because it's in this passage, in this verse, I mean, that God steps in. He doesn't have to. We have, he has his answer. Job has the answer that God is in control. Just deal with it. But God steps in. He pulls back the curtain, steps onto the scene, and he offers to Job and to man wisdom. He says, and he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. He says, the, or the mystery of wisdom is, to, is revealed to us. It's not a charge to learn more or to work harder or to be better or to do more. It's through an invitation. It's through a covenant relationship with God. That's what he offers he says to fear him, which of course is to recognize, not to be afraid of God, not to be scared of him or run from him, but to recognize who God is and to respond accordingly. And to do that is to turn from evil and back to the Lord. To turn away from evil acts, from wickedness, and turn towards the Lord, the Holy One. This is not something that God has to do for us. He is welcome to end it at verse 27, but by his grace and his mercy, he offers us wisdom, which is not a product of intelligence or experience we learn. It is not being kind or being humble or being smart or being older or being younger or being richer or being poorer. No, it is simply by being in relationship with our God. The treasures of wisdom and understanding we read later in and the writings of Paul, that the wisdom and understanding uh, of the world are hidden in Christ. For Christ is the one who bridges the gap between sinners, broken, lost, wicked. He bridges the gap between them and a relationship with God. He's the one who restored our relationships with, with the Father, and he offers us salvation forgiveness and eternal relationship through eternal life. And that's why scripture tells us that in Christ all wisdom is found. Because it is only through Christ that we have a relationship with God. And it is in our relationship with God, our relationship, our connection to the source of all wisdom, are we able to live accordingly. So only that way, through Christ, are we able to find for ourselves wisdom. It's only through the grace of God. It's only through his mercy and forgiveness. So when we ask ourselves, like Job does, where is wisdom? How can it be found? Yes, in those moments of lostness, in those moments of dark nights of the soul when we don't know where to turn or what to do and things don't make sense, when the world and everything we understand about it has failed us and we have nowhere else to turn or know, don't know what to do. And we ask ourselves, what even is wisdom but also in the good times and the joys i'll be honest with y'all 
This is a passage that was intimidating to me because how can I preach wisdom to a church full of some of the wisest saints I've ever met? To people who I would come to when I need wisdom. How, can I, how could I preach that? But oftentimes I choose my passages by what the Lord is teaching me. And in the moment that I held my two children for the first time in November, that was the first time I truly realized I desperately need wisdom. How do I raise these children? How, do, how, how, how does anyone raise children? How do you, how do you live or how do you deal with uh, running a business? How do you live your life ethically and morally? How do you do, go to work and be a light for Christ? How do you have relationships? How do you be a good husband or a good wife or a good mother or a good son or daughter? How do we even live in the good times or the bad without wisdom? In these moments, we feel like we're lost and jostled by the sea. And it is in these moments that God does not, just like Job, he does not offer us answers as frustrating and angry that may make us. God does not offer answers. He does not offer uh, a, a solution to our momentary frustration. He offers to us a pathway, not to wisdom, but to the source of wisdom. It's not a step-by-step process. It's not a book to read. It's not a skill we must learn or amount of years we must le- live. No, God offers to us instead an invitation. An invitation to the source of wisdom. An invitation to himself, to God himself. This may be a silly illustration, but I think of Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. Sweet little Charlie Button. He just wants to buy a chocolate bar. He finally gets enough money, he runs in and buys a little little candy bar. share with his family and in that is the golden ticket which then leads him on a journey through the chocolate factory through that scary tunnel through the the chocolate rivers and all the good stuff but at the end he is not given chocolate he's not given what he wanted which was candy what is he given he's given the whole factory he's given everything he's being handed over the keys and we often are like that when we seek out God and say God where is wisdom how do I do this what even is this how do I handle these things in my life would you just fix them for me would you just give me an answer he offers us instead the whole thing he offers to us a relationship with himself so While no eye has seen wisdom, we can look upwards to Jesus. No eye has seen understanding, but we can see Christ crucified. And in these moments of trouble or the moments of good and the moments of empty and the moments of plenty, we can be rest and assured in our relationship with the Lord. And through that relationship, does he guide us and direct us through his Holy Spirit? Red windbreaker, a white hat with a red bill, blue jeans, and white tennis shoes. When I was lost in the crowds, 
I didn't want to know where I was. I didn't want to know how to get home. I didn't want to know where Bryant-Denny Stadium was. I didn't want to know where my ticket was. I just wanted to know where my dad was. Because in him was all my answers. So in the moments of life that we need wisdom and understanding the most, when our plans and decisions have failed us, when we are lost and without a plan, or when we just need to make sense of the world, it is in these moments that we are offered an invitation. Not an answer, but an invitation. An invitation to a relationship with our Father. An invitation to cast our eyes upon Christ and to be embraced by the love of the Holy Spirit. We are offered to follow after God. And this morning, I would like to extend that offer and that invitation to you. Whether you're in this place this morning and you do not know the Lord, you have no access to wisdom because you have no uh, relationship with Christ. I believe through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because he lived the life that we, didn't, we couldn't live and died the death we, de- we deserved. You could be saved this morning if you place your faith in him. Or for those of us who are seeking wisdom, maybe right there where you are, just like, just like I'm about to do, just ask the Lord not for answers or for wisdom, but for to just strengthen our relationship with him, to draw us deeper into his love, into his relationship, and to strengthen our faith in him. Or you may be looking for a church home this morning. I would love to talk to you more about church membership. 